Okay, good evening, everyone. Thank you for, uh, for joining. So, the past few shiurim have been really a hakdama to uh, more serious topics in the world of Basa B'chalaf. So I just want to review for a few minutes what we've learned the past few shiurim, and this will be a, an introduction to what, what, what's to come, you know, what's coming ahead. We learned that there's a novel halacha that although we would assume in approaching the halachas of Basar B'chalav, halachas of Taruvas, that we could typically just assume 60 to 1. If you have 60 times kosher to non-kosher, then it's batal, batal b'shishim. However, there's a new halacha we learned that there's something called chaticha nasas nevela, that if you had a situation where the food was not batal, we'll just give a quick example. You took a small, a small amount of milk, went into a, a, a cup of soup, so you had a cup of chicken soup, you had uh, 10 ounces of chicken soup, and one ounce of milk fell into it, so now you have 11 ounces of basar b'chalav, and if that cup of chicken soup gets poured back into uh, another pot, you need 60 times the entire cup of chicken soup. Not 60 times the original drop of milk, 60 times the entire cup, that's called chaticha nasas nevela, and when it comes to basar b'chalav, milk and meat together, everyone agrees that that's how we paskin. The broader question was, does this apply to shari surim? Does it apply to other isurim that are not basar b'chalav? What's the question? Basar b'chalav makes sense. Each one on its own is kosher. It, the isur only started when they came together. So this 10 ounces of soup is basar b'chalav. But let's say I had one ounce of treif. I had an ounce of uh, clam juice that fell into nine ounces of vegetable soup. So maybe that entire soup doesn't become and if subsequently this cup of soup gets poured back into another pot, I need 60 times the original one ounce of clam, not 60 times this new mixture, 10 ounces of clam and vegetable soup. That was the question. The Shulchan Aruch held there is no problem. There's no by Shari Surim. While the Ramah, the Ramah was Machmer and said, yes, indeed, we do say by other Yisurim. However, there were many, many times, many examples that we were making. Something that came up recently, this past uh, over the past few days, there was a, uh, a restaurant somewhere, I think on the East Coast, that used, they got the wrong uh, French fries. So Mashkiach thought he checked it, but this company usually has Ashkacha. They ended up taking non-kosher, non-certified French fries and putting it in the deep fryer. And the question is, do you now have to kosher the deep fryer you used non-certified French fries? And if anyone knows how deep fryers look, it is virtually impossible to kosher a deep fryer. One of the prerequisites of koshering is to clean. So uh, it's, it's almost impossible to actually, you really have to take it apart and, and either charcoal it or, uh, or use a blowtorch. It's very, you can't just, you know, fill it up with water and boil it out. That's not going to do the trick when it comes to deep fryers. If you're ever in a hotel for Pesach and they have deep fried food, you should ask the hashkocha how they koshered the deep fryer. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it, it should have taken, you know, a day, a day, a full day of koshering to kosher a deep fryer. So the question is, do you have to, what do you do in this case? What exactly could be wrong with these uh, non-certified French fries? You look at the ingredients, it says uh, potatoes, uh, some flour, so it's chamez, right? Potatoes, flour, but there's not no trafe in it. So the older Rabbanim that uh, work in kashras, so when they see the, the they see French fries at that ashkacha, they get very nervous. Why is that? Because historically, one of the biggest companies that purchased French fries, McDonald's, their fries were fried in tallow. The way French fries work is that there's two steps to the cooking. There's the cooking that happens in the manufacturing plant. 
they are par parboiled or blanched or whatever you want to call it. They're they're fried. And then when you bring it home or to your restaurant, you finish it off. You bake it in the oven at home or you deep fry it in your uh, in your restaurant as well. The original frying of the uh, we call it the Mac fries, the McDonald's fries, were in tallow for many decades. The French fries were fried in beef tallow, 90 percent beef tallow, ten percent vegetable oil, some some type of ratio like that. And therefore, many many companies wanted to uh, be uh, suppliers for McDonald's, so they ended up having a line of beef tallow French fries. So that means beef tallow is trafe, right? Trafe uh, animal fat. So that was that was the scare back in the day that that if you got French fries that weren't certified, either this is the McDonald's French fries, or it was made on the same equipment, made in the same plant, and people would get nervous. However, Bismanazet today, I haven't we haven't come across anything in America where I mean, in South America maybe they do it, do this, but a domestic product would not be fried in beef tallow unless it says it on the package. But that would be an odd situation. Your typical, what's it called, McCafe, all these, uh, all the different uh, French fries you see in the freezer section in your in your grocery stores, they're not being fried in beef tallow. So what are other concerns? And this is again halachalamaisa. What do we do with this with this uh, deep fryer in our uh, in a restaurant in New York, wherever the shaila oh, was? Oh, yeah, sorry. Oil stickiness. No, no, you came in the middle. I was just getting, no, no, I'm talking about, uh, talking about during the year. This happened a couple of days ago at a restaurant in, in Manhattan. And I was just making it, making a, a statement about in general, koshering uh, deep fryers. But usually, usually there's flour in it actually, chametz. So, so, uh, so what what could go wrong? So there's a few things that might go wrong here. Number one, McDonald's changed from beef tallow. You can look online afterwards to two percent beef flavor. So that sounds scary, and I've actually seen someone write an article in Kashras how how we have to be concerned for the beef flavor. If you look at the ingredients to the beef flavor, it's not made of flasics; it's actually milchiks. The beef flavor is a synthetic flavor that tastes like beef. They actually put whey protein and other types of milchiks in this beef flavor that's flavoring the oil for McDonald's French fries. That's well, that's one concern. Another concern would be that the same oil is being sheared, for, you know, with the onion rings, and you could have battered onion rings that have cheese and other things in it. So this is the concern. Now, we'll talk about three different, two, two or three different heterim that we mentioned two weeks ago that might apply in our case. So let's think about the Shiloh. We have potato. We have a regular straight cut French fries. There's no trafe ingredients. It's potatoes. It's flour. It's 100% kosher ingredients. I'm concerned what oil it was. It was uh, made in, in uh, you know, in Idaho, in North Dakota, when they were making these uh, French fries. Which oil was it? Was it made in? So I'm not concerned for beef tallow unless it's coming from, uh, you know, South America or something. It's coming from North Dakota. I'm not concerned for beef tallow. What could I be concerned for? I'm concerned that in a previous uh, product that was fried in there, there was some type of milk flavor, or What's a more serious concern is that they had an onion ring, and an onion ring might have a batter that has non-kosher cheese or milk. And again, I'm, I'm trying to have flasics here, right? So that would be the concern. So the chayra, we could, we have really, we really have a shaila of chanan b'shari surim, and I'll explain. Let's say they indeed used milchik, or we'll call it non-kosher cheese, in the batter on the onion ring batter. And they use they they put the onion rings through the oil 
and the onion ring spit out a blea, spit out some uh, taste into the oil. Okay, let's assume there's no bittel there. Five percent of the oil is going to be this non-kosher cheese product. So if we say by shari surim, then the entire vat of oil becomes non-kosher cheese, right? And then my French fries that were made in there also become non-kosher cheese. I have to kosher my deep fryer in my uh, in my restaurant. But there's three reasons to be makele. And, and possibly say we don't say chatichanas nevela. And if you don't say chatichanas nevela, so then the oil is only 5% milchiks. Then when I put french fries in there, it got a blia of oil. Let's assume it's not bottle at that point. And don't eat the french fries. But when I subsequently fried it in my Heimischer restaurant, so then I had enough oil in there to knock out the 5% of, of the milk, of the non-kosher uh, cheese. And therefore, it will be bottle going into the deep fryer you know, change the oil, but you don't have to start kashering the deep fryer. So what would be three atarim? Just to review what we've learned. Hector number one would be, it's only a suffix. We saw from the prima godim, anytime you have a suffix, if there was iser here, we don't say chatich anasas avela. We could rely on the shulchan aruch, and we could be megal. That's hector number one. Hector number two is, this is a, considered a hefsin maruba. It's a hefsin maruba, and therefore the Ramah says when it's lach balach again. My father, uh, Tali, you were bothering me last week. Lach balach means that the the absor the the blia that went out of this onion ring is a spit out blia. That's called lach going into a liquid. That's lach balach, and the Ramah says if it's liquid and liquid, the maruba you can be mekel. So it will be a hefsin maruba to start uh, kasher in a deep fryer, and also you have that all these isurim that I mentioned, non kosher cheese. Um, you know, chalav going into a, a dairy product, chalav akam or something. All these things are only asr mid And Rav Moshe said in his tshuva that when it comes to isurim de rabbanon, we go with the we go with the Ramah that anytime it's lach balach, you don't have to rely. You don't even need to have some ruba. Anytime it's lach balach on the rabbanon, we could be mekel, and you don't have to uh, and you don't have to. Uh, Takasha, so that would be a psach again. You'd have to figure out where these French fries came from. But if it only came from a place where there was a shaila of a non-kosher uh, cheese uh, in onion ring or this 2% beef flavor, which is not beef, 2%, even if it was beef, you could still have the same discussion, right? Depending on how and how, how much the percentage was. If it's chatich, if it's chanam b'shari surim, don't eat the French fries, but uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't answer the, the kalim. So that's the uh, discussion of chatich anas tzvela. Just uh, to give another example, this comes up as well. So halakhically, we paskin that when, when uh, this is based on Chumash. Chumash says by the war of, by Midian, that after they conquered, uh, after they conquered the land, they had to kasher the kalim. And the, the Pasuk says, whatever was used in fire, you have to do, you have to do libun. Whatever was used with, with uh, liquid, you have to do hagala. The question is, how does hagala work? Think about it. You have, uh, you have a fork. Let's say you took a milchik fork and you put it into the wrong, uh, the wrong, the wrong, uh, you're making schnitzel and you took a milchik fork and you stuck it into the schnitzel. Call the rabbi. Rabbi says, you have to kasha the fork. You have a hot piece of schnitzel and your fork went into it. You have to kasha the fork. So how do you kasha, rabbi? Okay, wait 24 hours, put the fork into a boiling water, and then that's how, that's how you kashered it. So how does kashering actually work? So the way the Rishonim exp- uh, describe it is that when you kasher a fork, in boiling water, the absorbed taste in the fork gets spit out into the water. Okay. Well, doesn't it go back in? How does it help me? So I got the taste to come out, but shouldn't it go back in when it's in the water? 
So let's assume it would, but there's two ways to navigate it. Number one is what the rabbi just told you. Wait 24 hours. Halacha is, after 24 hours, we'll learn this extensively throughout Hilchas Taruvah, after 24 hours, the absorbed taste is not called food. It's called noisein tam lufgam. It's not really called food. And on a deraisa level, you don't have to be worried about it. You're allowed to eat it. Came along the Chachamim, the Taisas, some of the Rishonim point out, this is a gzeir from Moshe Rabbeinu, of ene ben yoimai, atu ben yoimai. Even to not use something that wasn't used in 24 hours, because you might make a mistake and end up using something that's a ben yoimai for 24 hours. But when it comes to Haggalah, when it comes to kashering, as long as the fork has sat idle for 24 hours, the absorbed taste is not not good. And therefore, even if the taste came out, I went back in, I don't care, it's nice in time left That's one mahalach. And usually we wait 24 hours before kashering. The other mahalach is, very simple, make sure you have 60 times the fork of water in the pot. So let's say your fork is, uh, let's say it's a one fluid ounce of uh, displacement. Take a huge pot of 60 ounces or 70 ounces to be, uh, to be extra careful, a huge uh, stock pot, fill it up with water, and when you kosher, kosher in that pot, and you're right, the bleus that w- will go out of the fork into the water, but it'll be bottled, it'll be bottled in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the water, and therefore you just kosher your fork. Toysus is bothered by the following. Let's say you have a, a keili that you can't wait 24 hours, and he's bothered on, on a derisa level, how do you kosher? Meaning, there has to be a way to kosher big, uh, big kalim. So, for, for small kalim, you could kosher it in a bigger keli. Take a small fork, use a stock pot. Let's say you found the biggest pot in the world. How do you kosher this? On a derisa level. On a derabanan level, you wait 24 hours, right? You kosher it. But midaraisa, is there ever a way for me to kosher it, do hagola, and now eat it without waiting 24 hours? So he says, it's actually a raya against, uh, this is actually a raya of, uh, that the chatichanas nevela doesn't apply. He says that we assume you have 30 times uh, the contents of a pot against the pot itself. Not 60, 30. So if you fill it up with water, we'll assume you have 30 times water to pot. So he says, do Haggala twice. Fill up the pot with water, boil it up. Half the bleel will come out because you, you don't have 60 times, you have 30 times. Half the bleel will come out and that'll be bottle. Do it, another, do, do it again with water and then the other half of the bleel will come out and you'll be mavatled by having 60. In total, you have 60 times the pot, so do do a hagala twice, and that kashers it. Now it's a complicated swara, but the obvious question is: What about chaticha nasa sevela? What about when when the first spit out? You have thirty times against one. That blia should now go back in, and now it's much stronger. It's a much bigger blia than before. So the he clearly holds there's no blia over here because lach balach, right? But this does come up. For example, let's say you have a uh, a company that does grape juice. And they don't want to wait 24 hours between grape juice and apple juice. And you're giving ashkacha on the apple juice. What do you do? So you hope they should they would wait 24 hours after after use, doing grape juice. But many ashkachos will rely on this. They'll kasher twice. What you do is you'll run the pasteurizer twice. And you go with taisvis. That I have shishim over two kasherings. And we don't say chaticha nas is available. Here it's also dirabanam. It's only a stam yinam. And there are many, many, many ashkachas rely on it. They will kasher twice on a ben yoimoy, uh, a grape juice company that's that's converting to apple juice, you know, for Monday morning run for apple juice. And they don't, they can't wait. They can't stop for 24 hours. They'll rely on this, on this taisus. Okay, so we went went through a lot of these uh, halachas of chatich and nevela. 
we see the tremendous ramifications it has in halacha, in kashrus, in commercial hashkacha, even in restaurants regarding french fries. So let's move on. The last piece in Chatichanas Nevela is the end of the Ramah in Sif Dalid. So the last three lines of the Ramah, he says like this, and and it's it's uh, it's really a continuation of the previous topic, and it leads into the next topic. He says, Klia Nesser Meblias Isser. Let's say you had a keli that became usser through cooking. So we don't say that the whole entire pot became usser. All you need uh, is So we saw this last time. Let's say a person took a slice of non-kosher bacon, put it into a huge soup pot. You fry the bacon in the soup pot. Realize, hey, bacon's not kosher. You throw out the bacon. So Let's say someone, he, he meant to cash for the pot, and someone used it afterwards. Do I need, now he made a chicken soup in this pot afterwards. Do we need shishim against the whole pot, which you're not going to have, we just saw that. Or do you need shishim against the bacon? So where's the chatichanas nevela? Does the entire pot become a chatichanas nevela? So the Ramah says, no, it doesn't become chatichanas nevela. However, these four law, four words make the biggest difference in the world. He says, Look over there what I wrote in Simen Tzadichas. Now, if you don't look there, you think that we're good to go. As long as uh, the only thing that became usher was the uh, was was the only thing that that made something usher was the small little slice of bacon, and I made a chicken soup afterwards, I should be fine. In Simon Sadiches, he says that's only said when we're dealing with a kli chadash, a brand new keli, that there are no blias, there are no absorbed tastes inside the walls of this keli. But let's say you have a keli, let's give an extreme example, that was used today, so there are absorptions in this pot itself. So we should say chaticha nasa sevela on the absorbed, on the absorptions. So let's say you have a pot, you're looking at a pot in front of you, and you have to see, think about how much absorbed taste is in this pot. So if I never use this pot, there's no taste in the pot. It's a piece of metal. But if this pot was used this, this morning for, for vegetable soup, so in the walls of this pot, we have food. We have vegetable soup. Vegetable soup is kosher. There's nothing wrong with it. You have kosher vegetable soup in this pot. But now someone put a piece of bacon in the pot and heated it up. The Ramah says in Simen Sadiches that the, if the bacon is not less than a 60th of the walls of the pot, the entire pot, or the absorbed taste in the pot, which we assume is the entire pot, has this din of chaticha nasa sevela. The absorbed absorption in the wall became chaticha nasa sevela. And if you now cook the chicken soup in this pot, you need 60 times the entire pot. So although he sounds very innocent here, we don't say the keli becomes chaticha nasa sevela. That's only when we're dealing with a brand new keli, now with a keli that already has absorbed taste. Yes, so, what, honestly, so what happens in the new keli? There's no food. There's nothing there. There's no, nothing to become chaticha nasa sevela. I have the bacon in there. So, so the way chaticha nasa sevela works is that you had an interaction between, we'll go back to my original case, you have 10 ounces of vegetable soup and one ounce of, of a clam. So the one ounce of clam now gives flavor to the entire vegetable soup that's here. And I have 10 ounces of clam-flavored vegetable soup. Chatiha Nasan Nevela tells me that that whole thing becomes this isser, and I need 60 times this cup. Oh, when oh, I have so a case of bacon, is, there's nothing else in the pot, just bacon? Just one just slice of bacon on the pot? Uh, on the bottom? No water, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, sauteing it, whatever you're, yeah. 
Robbie had other things too. So no, nothing else in there. Nothing right. If I had other oh, things in there, I thought he had other fine. things. At the so I met this okay, guy. Instead of taking a frying pan, he took a big pot because he likes big pots, and he just put a piece of bacon. He put a piece of we'll use a grieven. He took a non-kosher chicken, but he wanted to have grieven like they had in the home. And now he has. He, 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 so we need shishim to whatever was in the pot at that time, because even if the, if was if there was let's say water in the pot, he would need shishim against whatever was in the pot. If you say chatikhan asleveila, even if even according to what he's saying that that it's a new pot. He's only saying it because there was one small piece in there, and that's it. Correct, correct. And there's no there's absorbed taste. Else. Right, there's no food to now become usher. But let's say right. absorbed taste. They use this pot a half hour ago for vegetable soup. So in the pot, in the walls, I have this thing called bleus, whatever that means. I have this taste in the pot, in the walls. And that taste became usher. Uh, and now we say, The entire wall is now, is now full of bacon-flavored vegetable soup. And again, outside the same. If, if the I bought a brand new pot, had a full pot of vegetable soup, and I put in a piece of bacon in there. Do I have shishim the against thing. the vegetable soup or no? Uh, and and I, I would have to now say, no, it wasn't shishim at that right. point. Right. So now this so whole thing becomes say, Yes, exactly. Right. Even though it was a brand new pot. Yes, because now because now it's absorbing food. It's absorbing flavor of chatichanas Okay. Now that we've seen that, let's learn sifhei. So sifhei is uh. It's a classic Shiloh that Rabbanim get from time to time. When I was learning uh, Bas B'chal of uh, Night Seder way back in the mirror, at Harusa, we learned uh, Bas B'chal during Night Seder. This, uh, this, this story happened to us. It, we were in the same dira together, and we noticed this. This happened in the dira. So what happened was, so this fellow, is, uh, he, got, he had hot dogs, and he's using a grill pan for his hot dogs, or to give a nice, uh, not such a dira dika, dika case, someone buys, he has his uh, cast iron uh, skillet, his cast iron frying pan. He's about to make his hanger steak. He puts a hanger steak on the cast iron pan. It's going to taste delicious. And someone in the family wants milkshakes that night, right? He's ruining his, his his night on the stove. Anyways, they make some room. He puts a pot of noodles and cheese. And he's still, he's still uh, grilling his steak or frying his steak, frying his hot dogs. And in the middle of the process, a small piece of the hot dog or some sauce spits out from the, from the, from the steak and lands on the exterior of the pot. So now, Lechaira, what's the big deal? A small little uh, hot dog spring is definitely less than a 60th of the contents of the mac and cheese, right? And the truth is, if it fell into the pot, that's what we would say. We learned those halachas. If it's in a, it's in a liquid, it's bato bashishim. If it hits the solid, if it's chutz l'raitif, right? We, we spoke about that. What if it simply hits the side of the pot? It doesn't doesn't go into the pot, hits the side of the pot when the pot is being is cooking on the fire, they're both hot. So what's the difference? Why should it make a difference if it goes into the pot or on the side of the pot? So the truth is we have to learn uh sugya in zvachim. The sugya in zvachim. This is zvachim that sadi vavim at base. Over there, the uh the Torah tells us, this is uh found in, in Baikra, that when you when you cook kachim, you you are running into a shaila of nicer that when kachim stays overnight, there's a problem of nicer that it's kachim that was left overnight. So what do you do with the bleus in the pot? Some learn this is one of the one of the makiras, one of the sources that we, we see that that uh, the, that Tom Kicker, that bleus are something nicer. You see they have to kasher it. So the pasuk says. If you cook in a klicheres, you can't kasher klicheres. What does the Basak say? Yishaver. You have to break it. Right? 
If you cook it in a clean chayshes, in a copper, we'll use a stainless steel, we'll use a copper uh, 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 pot. So the Pasik says, You should do something called Marika Ushtifa. Sounds like you have to clean it. Machlaikes, Chacham and Rabbi, what Marika Ushtifa is. Everyone agrees you have to do Hagala at some point, you have to kasher it. And that's how you deal with the Nisar in the base of Mekdash. Very simple. Right? It's like regular treif. You have to kasher it. It's a kasher the nicer, or kasher before it becomes nicer. That's how you deal with it. And this is called Mariko Ushtifa. If you're learning Kachim, if you're learning Zvachim, they did Mariko Ushtifa. The Gemara asks, what if you have a... The Gemara doesn't ask this explicitly, but the Gemara questions, what if you only cooked the Kachim on part of the keli? Our case, you have a big, huge stock pot. Right? The coin was looking for something to cook in. He couldn't find a small frying pan. Forget about it. He takes the biggest pot he finds. It's available. Nobody's using it. He takes a small little piece of lamb from the kachim, and he, and he sears the lamb on the bottom, uh, the bottom of the pot. Not the entire pot, just the bottom, the floor of the pot. He seared lamb. No oil, no nothing else, just lamb. Do you have to kosher the rest of the pot? Do we say that just kosher the place they got the absorbed taste? Or do you have to kasher the entire pot? That's the Gemara's question. And the Gemara says, Omakra, the Pasik says, Even a small amount of the kli got nicer or got kachim, you have to kasher the entire kli. Now, how does the Gemara understand this? How does the Gemara learn this out from, the, from a Pasuk? So the way the Rishonim explain is that when the Torah says, Uklicheres asher tervashel, it says tervashel boy. You cook in it, sounds like the entire pot. You use the entire pot. You have bliyas, you shower, you have to break it. Vim bechli, it doesn't say boy, it says bechli. In the keli, it sounds like it's being maraba. Even if you cooked a small amount in the keli, you still have to kasher the entire thing. Now, nobody argues on this. This is the Gemara in Zvachim, Sadi Vavim and Beis. Learns it out from the Pasuk that even if a small amount became uh, nicer or, or a small amount of the pot got the absorption of kachim or nicer, you have to kasher the entire pot. The question is, if the Gemara is learning it out from this Xeris HaKasav, is this simply a an example when it comes to kachim, but not by Shari Surim, other Surim, Basim Truma the Gemara talks about, or do we say this is just telling us that there's a rule that when absorptions go into a keli, it spreads into the entire keli. There's a similar machlaikas, if those that learned the hechsher kelim, kashering kelim, there's a question called cham miktsasai, cham kulai. Let's say he had a spatula and he used it for treif. It's a very long spatula. Do you have to kasher the entire spatula or do you simply have to kasher the part that went into the food? What's the shayla? It's the same question. Do we say cham miktsasai, cham kulai, that the, that the entire thing became hot, the entire, the, the entire spatula, even the handle, got absorbed got absorptions from the treif, or do we say, no, it's a contained transfer of taste, and only there is an issue. So that's the Gemara's question. The Gemara brings, the Gemara asks about truma. What about truma? The Gemara sounds like you don't need to kasher, you don't need to do mariko shtifa by truma, but the Gemara asks, hold on a second, we pass and you can't use a pot that was fleshiks from milchiks, and if you do, you have a problem. Similarly, truma, you can't use chulin for, you can't use a truma pot for chulin. Imagine you're a kain, you need so many pots in your house. Truma pots, fleshiks, milk, it's power, and you need chulin pots. You can't use a truma pot for for uh, for, for chulin. 
if you do, then the chula now has bleus of truma. So if you're a kain, you could eat it. But if you're uh, if you're not a kain, you can't give it. To, if you're not if you're a kain giving it to your Yisrael guests, you have a problem. So what's going on here? So Abaya says that this chiddush of bishul b'miktzas kli, when you cook in part of a kli, you need mariku shtifa in the kolak kli. That's only when it comes to kachim nisar ha truma. When it comes to truma, we would assume everything else. Light sarach elamakim bishul. All you need is the place where you uh, where you cooked. That's Abaya's understanding. The other Amaram give different terutzim, and seemingly they argue on Abaya, and they hold no, no. There's no difference between truma, kachim, and all types of isurim. By all isurim, we say we're going to use the term of ham mitzasech ham kule. That's not the precise term, but the term the the concept is that even if a small part became treif. We assume it spread to the entire pot. Now that could be a kula, if you have shishim against it. That could be a chumra, that they have to kasher that part. Uh, uh, it, it, that if it's that, that it trafes up other parts of the keli. So now let's go back to our case. We'll just give a, an introduction to this, and we'll continue Mirtashem next week with the, uh, the different shitas. So now that we see that there's a machlekes and rava or other amaram, and again I, I told you that we don't really go with abaya. What do we do in our case when you have a small piece of meat that spritz onto the side of a pot? Do we say it's spread? And you can think of different ways of how, how to deal with it. Do we say it's one big challenge? The same way if it would have fell into the pot, I would have shishim against it. Again, in my case where you have mac and cheese being cooked on a, on a pot, in a pot on the stovetop, and right next to it you're searing your steak, and a little piece of steak or a little sauce from the steak flies out and, uh, and hits the side of the pot. We should say maybe it's one big challenge, it's hot, the whole thing is one big thing, and you have 60 times. It should be good. That would be a very easy way, make a, and no problem. What, what will be another scenario? And this, now think about it in terms of Chaticha Nasus Vela. Maybe the drop of meat hit the side of the pot, and maybe it got absorbed into a small area in the pot that's not 60 times its amount. So let's think about what we just mentioned from the Ramah. If there's absorbed taste in this pot, so there, it's ke'ilu, there's food inside this wall. There's actual food content inside this wall. We don't see it, we never saw it before, but there's food content in the wall. So maybe when the small piece of meat hits the side of the pot, it spreads into the, the, the food content inside this wall. Now maybe it doesn't spread so much, maybe it only spreads... I don't know, we'll call it a few inches. And and in those few inches, you don't have 60 times that drop of oil or, or meat sauce that splashed onto that side of the pot. Now we're stuck. If I don't have 60 times that amount in that small contained area, that whole area became and then what happens? It, go, it keeps spreading. Maybe it spreads to another 60 times its amount and another 60 times its amount. And eventually it could trape up the entire pot. So we went from someone uh, approaching this case as, ah, it's very simple, Shiloh, a small amount of meat went into a big pot of uh, noodles, not a question, but to hold on a second. Depending on how we view the, 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 the sequence of events, you could have a serious shaila of chatichanas zavela. If you recall, two weeks ago we spoke about the homeopathic medicine where you had this duck liver extract, which is non-kosher, and they diluted it in 10 times water to one part duck. Then they diluted it again 10 times to one. 
another 10 times to 1. Eventually, it's a million to 1, but it's never more than a multiple of 10 to 1. And if, in fact, again, we had Heterim, it's only it's only uh, it, it's Shari Surim, whatever, but if, if it was Basim B'chalof, it would be Aser. Everybody agrees it would be Aser because Chatich HaNas Nevelah. If you never had 60 to 1 at any point, it's not Batum. So there are Rishonim that are going to say that this might be much worse than your typical case of the small amount of milk falling into, or the small amount of meat falling into the pot, because there you have a big pot of food, here hits the side of the wall. We don't know how exactly it transfers. We know that there is some, there's machlekes in the Gemara, it transfers into the whole thing. Maybe it's only a suffix, maybe it transfers uh, uh, gradually. And therefore, we're going to see there's three different shitas in the Rishonim how to deal with this. And we're going to see it's not so simple. It's not a simple uh, open and closed case where you have your small uh, hot dog or, or, uh, or sauce spritzing out onto a hot pot of, of, of uh, mac and cheese being made on the stovetop. It's not a simple bittel. It's, uh, it's a complex sugya. So Mr. Shem will review the Gemara again next week. We ran out of time. And we'll go through the different shitas in the Rishayinim. And how we paskin, halach so what do we do in this case? Again, back in the mirror, we had a, we had a serious shiloh, do we have to kosher the pot? What do you do in that situation? And uh, it's a very, uh, very common question when you have one stovetop and you're cooking things at the same time. This is a, a fairly common question. Okay. So, Elliot, you said that 